Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I was so blessed this morning by what I saw when it came time for offering. And I don't know, many of you may have noticed it. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry and I'm not sorry to make an example of you right here, Aubrey. Something so beautiful that happened. We stood up and Siobhan said, it's time to receive the offering. And without any prompting, without any second guessing, three little Indians started marching. And they marched around and they all stood before their father, hands open. Dad, it's time for offering. And it was so beautiful because what scripture do we use so often when it comes time to give offering? He who gives seed to the sower. And we had three little sowers who knew exactly where to get seed from. (laughs) They had absolute confidence in his ability to produce seed. They had absolute confidence in the fact that he would produce the seed. And we're grateful to receive it and grateful to give it. Isn't that what God desires from us? Isn't that a beautiful picture of how God wants us to come to him? Last week, we spoke about the pursuit, and we started off talking about God's pursuit of us, how much God loves us, how much the life and the death of Jesus tells us and shows us and clearly demonstrates God's incredible love for us. God pursues us, withholding nothing from us, and as a result of his love, he calls on us to pursue him likewise. We read about two parables last week. The one was the parable of how the shepherd, having a hundred sheep, if, he, if one goes astray, if he loses one, would he not leave the 99 for the sake of that one? Why? Because he didn't value the 99? No, but just because that one. doesn't matter which one it would have been, but one was so incredibly precious. In other words, Jesus would have died for you even if you were the only person on the earth. That's how precious you are. It's not Jesus did this thing and you just happened to be caught up in the flow of it. You were the object of it. The other other parable that we read was the parable of the pearl of great price. We said how often we think this talks about how we should be devoted to God and how we should give up everything else to serve God. And while there is truth in in that teaching, what the parable is actually talking about, the kingdom of God is like someone who gave up everything. Jesus who gave up everything for you the pearl of great price. And God's love, when we, when we begin thinking this way, it's easy to become quite overwhelmed. I often, I often try and steer away from teaching things like this too much because I think in the church today, so much of what we teach and preach is that it's all about me and Jesus just died for me and so that I can have eternal life, so that I can be blessed. And so I'll be honest with you, over the past however long, I... I tend not to focus too much on that because I like, in, in my heart with Jesus, I understand how much he's done for me. Where the area that I need work on so often is, God, what do you want from me? How can I bless you? How can I serve you? But you see, if that's the primary focus, if that's where I lean all the weight, I forget the key that unlocks that, that heart. The key that unlocks my heart of devotion to God, my heart of service to God, my heart of wanting to bless God, 
is His love and devotion and blessing of me. As Siobhan so beautifully put it this morning, it begins with Him, it's empowered by Him, and enabled by Him, and it comes back to Him. It's all about Him. Romans 5.8 says this way, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, this love of God is not something that we can earn. And yet we spend so much time trying to earn it, or feel as though we deserve it. One of the things so many Christians struggle with, and I struggled with this for years, is to try and to, you know, to, I'll, I'll come to God or I'll approach God or I'll pray more when I feel I've kind of, I'm in a better place. Right now I don't feel like I can come into God's presence. I don't deserve His blessing. I don't deserve His love. I did some things that were wrong or I haven't been faithful in this area. You know, folks, we didn't deserve it to start with. And the truth is there is nothing that we could do to deserve it. It's a free gift of God. Heaven forbid my children ever feel that they need to earn entrance to my presence. That would break my heart. That would break my heart. I want my kids to have free access to me all the time. Why? Because I love them. Whether they do right or do wrong, whether they do good or do bad, they're my kids. I try and tell them often, I'm proud of you. I don't tell them that just when they do something good because I'm proud of them regardless of what they do. And that's God's heart towards you and I. This is where it all begins, folks. As we believe in God, as we're looking to the Lord for more of who He is, if we, as, as we're looking for greater outworkings and demonstrations of His power and of His Spirit, all of these things come back to our ability to receive the love of God. Because it's that one thing that is able to change us. It is the, you see, even faith is born out of love. Faith is the product of deep trust. Deep trust. It is because I deeply trust the Word of God. It's because I deeply trust Him. I deeply trust the promiser that I have the ability to believe the promise. Did you get that? I'll say that again. It is because I deeply trust the promiser that I have the ability to trust in the promise. Amen? Amen? It is because I know that He loves me and that He is good and that He wants what is best for me that I am empowered and able to lay down what I want believing that His is better. Amen. Trusting because I know of Him. I know His character. Romans 5.5 5 says it this way, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. It's His love with which we love. That's the goal. That's the aim. Amen? Last week we also looked at Ezekiel chapter 47 where he had this vision and there was a river that, that was in front of him. This river flowed from the throne room of God and Someone took him out to the river and measured a thousand cubits and he walked in and the water came up to his ankles. And he measured again and another thousand cubits and he walked in and the water came up to his knees. And he measured again another thousand cubits and the water came up to his waist and he measured again a thousand cubits. And he says, the water was deep, so deep that you couldn't stand anymore that you had to swim. You had to go with the flow. And we spoke about God's 
there's a sense in our hearts perpetually of God calling us deeper into Him, deeper into His love, desiring more of us so that He can give us more of Him. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. And when, he, when God calls us deeper into His Spirit, we need to understand that God is also calling us, or in essence calling us, deeper into His love. The Spirit of God, when we see manifestations of the Spirit, what are they? They're manifestations of love. Why does God come and heal His people physically? Because He loves them and He doesn't want them to be sick. Because His kingdom is the kingdom of light, and light expels darkness. His is the kingdom of love, and love expels hate. His kingdom is the kingdom of faith, and faith expels fear. And so God comes and He brings His love, and He brings His presence, and He brings His blessing, and He brings His spirit, which are all packaged together in one and the same thing. Amen? Amen. Gavin, would you stand here for a moment, please? This is Gavin. Say hi, Gavin. That's sweet, eh? Do you want to tell them anything about being an elk? No. Um, Gavin is a husband. That's one facet of who he is. His lovely wife, Natasha, sitting at the back there. Say hi, Natasha. Hi, Natasha. Gavin is a father to two kids, Hannah and Connor. Gavin is a driver. He drives a car. Gavin is a teacher. He teaches at school. He's a school teacher. These are all facets and attributes of who Gavin is. Are you good with your hands? Are you handyman? Is Gavin good with his hands? No, sorry, Gavin. <laughs> but we know that he's good with his hands on the keyboard, right? He's a musician. Thank you, Gavin. Do you understand the point that I'm making? It's all one and the same man. I can't accept Gavin just as teacher without, and ignore the fact that he's a father and a husband and a musician. I can't exclude attributes from him. And it's the same with God. When we get God, when we get salvation, when we come into the kingdom, we get the whole package. We get it all. How has He not freely with Him, as we're going to read just now, given us all things that pertain to the kingdom? So when we talk about, God, I want more of Your Spirit, what are we saying? I want more of Your love. I want to be more like You, Jesus. More of Your righteousness. Pursue righteousness and the kingdom of God. Seek it first. And all these other things, they're part of the package but they're not the priority. You see, I can pursue God for what He gives, or I can pursue God for who He is. As much as I mentioned that beautiful example, at that moment, what were the kids believing for? Dad, we're here. What for? We need something. And that's okay. God wants us to come to Him with our needs. I'm not saying that's bad at all. But I'm saying if that's all His kids ever do, there's a problem. If the only time we ever come to God is when we have a need, we've got a problem. The only time we pray is we get a message, <coughs> so-and-so is in hospital, or so-and-so has happened, or they've just lo please pray. Oh, dear God, I just lift them up to you. I have no clue what to pray. Bless them. Give them peace, grace, strength. Thank you, Father. Put our head on the pillow at night. Thank you, God, for the day. Thank you for your protection. Please bless tomorrow. So thank you for what you've done. Please do. At the end of the day, we'll just do a check. Thank you for what you've done. You did a good job today. Please do again tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, <clears throat> thank you for a good night's sleep. Thank you for a new day. 
new opportunities for you to show me how good you are. Thank you, Jesus. Now, is that true? Yes. But if that's all it is, then God's somehow our servant and He's doing our bidding. And, and if that's the depth of our relationship, folks, we need to be measuring and walking in deeper, deeper into His love. Love, which is a relational thing. 1 John 4 verse 8 says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, <clears throat> he writes a beautiful letter. And a lot of the letter to the church in Ephesus is prayer that they will get a revelation of God's love, a revelation of their calling, a revelation of everything that Jesus Christ has done and given for them. And as we start in Ephesians 3 verse 14, I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. It says it this way. Paul writes and he says, When I think of this, in other words, when I think of all that you're doing and all that's going on, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Let's pause for a moment. I really like that, that expression. People come into your house and you say, please make yourself at home. What do you mean? It's a very dangerous thing to say. <laughs> when you say, please make yourself at home, what do you mean? You know, if some people come to visit me, I feel very comfortable saying that. Because I know that they have, you know, a level of self-control, a level of restraint. If Siobhan comes to visit me, I don't say that. He'll kick off his shoes, he'll lie on the couch, he'll... Helen, you're in the kitchen, would you please... Uh... I'm kidding. When Paul's praying that Christ would make himself at home in your heart. When somebody else is in your home, do you not make every effort to ensure that they're comfortable? Can I get you something to drink? Are you hungry? Listen, I'm married into Greek family. Whether you're hungry or not, you're hungry. <laughs> Are you thirsty or not? You're thirsty. It's a, yeah, that's just the way life is. And there's an effort to make you feel comfortable. Relax. Put your feet up. How else can we make you more comfortable? And when somebody else comes into your home, you're very willing to yield and be very obliging in terms of your normal routine. That kind of goes out the window just so that you can have fellowship and enjoy company and be together and enjoy the meal. Isn't that a wonderful analogy when, when Paul here is praying that Christ would be at home in your hearts? How is it that we approach Christ in our heart? Do we say, Lord, thank you, welcome. Listen, <clears throat> um, <coughs> I'm so glad you're here. Uh, please, listen, there's a seat. Welcome. I just need to just finish brushing my teeth. I'll be right with you. We can brush our teeth. We can make it. She's still here. Great. Um, uh, thanks uh, for being here. Um, it's great to have you. I'll be back a little bit later. I need to go to work. Or, or I, I, you know, thanks. Um, I hope you're not hungry because I haven't really prepared anything to eat right now. And how would you feel if you were that guest? You're like, please, don't let me inconvenience you. You carry on with your life. I don't want to get in the way of what you're trying to do here. But isn't that very often the way we treat Jesus as a guest in our hearts? Is he a guest in our hearts or is he at home in our hearts? 
Is he a part of the family? Is he a part of the furniture? Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, this is his prayer, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. What is he talking about here? He's asking, he's praying, God, give them the ability, give them eyes to see, to understand how great your love is for them. Let them not just understand it, God, but let them experience it. Let the the person of Jesus touch them so deeply. Let your provision, your healing, everything that comes with your love impact their lives in such a way, such a powerful way, that you may experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then, in other words, once your life has been touched and impacted by this love of God, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. These spiritual things that we long for, that we long to enter into, that we long to see manifesting in our lives and growing in our lives, what is the key that unlocks them? Is it our works? Is it what we can do for God? Or is it simply receiving the love of God? It's simply being the receptor of everything that God has to give. You see, if love is unconditional, then there is nothing we can do to make it flow or make it work, except receive it. Amen? Sometimes you want to bless somebody, and you have a hard time in doing it. How many of you know people like that? I have one of those. I want you to have another one. Just be blessed. Oh, but I don't really need it. Doesn't matter. I didn't ask you if you needed it. Here's one. Here's more. Just be blessed. Just be blessed and receive. Some of us struggle to give. Most of us struggle to receive. But the art or the key to giving kingdom life, to having it in us and growing in us and flowing through us, is the receiving. It's the receiving that changes us. How many times have you received a gift and had it just really impact your heart? It came out of the blue. It came as a surprise. Why would somebody think of me? Why would they go to this length? What a blessing. Wow. Just makes your heart fling wide open to that person, doesn't it? But that's how it begins with us and God. Yeah, the Bible says, <coughs> yeah, the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. But why is that? Because when we become givers, we begin to be partakers of the work that Jesus Christ is doing every day, every moment of every day. Giving. Giving. Giving love. Giving of ourselves. Giving substance, blessing, encouragement. Prophecy, whatever the gift is that you have, give it. So how do we come to an experience with this love? How do we come to to having this be something that's working and living within us? The answer is this. We need to begin aligning our hearts with it more and more. What does it mean to align our hearts with something? It is about the position or the orientation of the heart. The Bible says many times, it says, Wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord shall? Sorry? You don't know that one? Shall receive strength. They shall run and grow, not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles, those who wait upon the Lord. So what does it say for those who do not wait upon the Lord? Nothing. It actually says nothing. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It's not this. What are you doing, brother? I'm just waiting for God. He's taking his sweet time. But God is never early and God is never late. Though he tarries, I shall believe. That's not what waiting on God is. Waiting on God means to orientate my expectation towards him. That's what it means. To wait on God means I orientate my expectation towards him. For what? To receive. If I expect something from you, what does that mean? I want something from you. Could be money. Could be wisdom. Could be something you've promised to give me or deliver. Michael, I'll be there at such and such a time. Such and such a time comes. You're not here. I, what's my expectation? That you'll be here. So what are you going to get from me? A phone call. Where are you? I expect you to be here. You, by your promise, have orientated my expectation towards something. That's what I expect. No more, no less. Just be here at that time. We'll take it from there. Amen? To wait upon the Lord means for me to orientate my expectation towards Him. In order to do that, we must... First, believe certain things about the Word of God. We must believe in God. Believe in the Word of God. Believe in the love of God. When I say believe, I mean be convinced of, convicted of. When you are convicted of something, it's not a mind thing that somebody can come and just change. It's a true and real and deep belief. We must receive... And we must yield. Receiving and yielding are two different things. If I believe that God is trying to give me love, grace, His Spirit, wisdom, as all these things we've been praying for, a revelation of the height, depth, length, breadth, width, whatever, I come in believing that I orientate my expectation towards Him. The next thing I need to do is receive. And sometimes we receive by faith. We press in to receive. We wait and we orientate our hearts. Then when I receive, what do I do? I yield to it. Many of us, day by day, week by week, receive the Word of God. The Bible tells a parable about sowers. He just sows. The Word is always coming at us. It's coming at us from pulpits. It's coming at us from those loved ones in our lives. It's coming at us in all different ways. Friends, colleagues, employers, employees. The Word of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God, I want you to know, is coming at you all the time through all different avenues and channels. And we receive a lot of it. Some of it we don't, we just reject. Some of it we receive. The question is, what do we do with that which we receive? As the parable goes, sometimes the cares of this world choke it up and it bears no fruit. Other times our own stubbornness of heart, our own inability to yield, to give way to, to the truth of God, stops it, it just kills it, and it dies. Of the four soils, only one produces fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. We need to yield to the Word of God, to the Word of God. Amen? You often hear Jesus saying, He who has ears, let him hear. 
When you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, he actually said that a lot. Every time he told a parable, now what is a parable? A parable is a story that conceals something. The purpose of a parable is not to reveal something, it's to conceal something. Jesus didn't tell parables to make things simpler to understand. He made them to veil certain truths. But that doesn't make sense, Michael. Why on earth would Jesus do that? Because he generally followed up parables by saying, he who has ears, let him hear. And so we've got to ask ourselves, all right, God, do I have ears? And obviously we're not talking about these physical flappy things on the sides of our heads. What does he mean? He means spiritual ears. What do spiritual ears look like? How do I get spiritual ears? I want to hear what Jesus is saying. Amen? We also see something else very interesting in the life of Jesus as he walks and he ministers. When he ministers to a multitude, he ministers in parables. When he ministers to those closest to him, he makes things really simple. Was that because Jesus thought everybody else was really intelligent and they could figure out these wonderful divine, divine mysteries and his disciples were really doff and so he had to make it simple for them? Was that the reason? No. By the way, that's not the reason. Many, many people followed Jesus. And likewise today, many, many people profess to follow Jesus. But you will see that at numerous times along Jesus' journey and along his ministry, the crowd thinned out. At one stage, people came. There were 5,000 men, never mind women and children. How many could that be? 10,000? 15,000 people fed with two loaves and, <coughs> sorry, two fish and five loaves? That's some, that's some big fish. That was a catch. No, not really. They were little fish. And it's amazing. Jesus keeps separating himself from them. He keeps moving away. There is something in the heart of the people following Jesus, in the heart of the multitude, that were chasing after him for the signs, for the wonders, for the miracles, for the healings, for the food, for the provision. They were chasing after Jesus because of what he could do for them. He could deliver their demons. He could heal them. And Jesus was open, by the way, to do all of that. He withheld nothing from every, anybody who, who pursued him. He healed them. He cast out the demons. He raised the dead. He did all these wonderful, incredible things. But when it came to the mysteries of the kingdom of God, he, he entrusted those only to those who were not just after him for what they could get. Those who had forsaken all others those who, when Jesus said, followed me, follow me, dropped their nets. They left their occupations. They put aside every other priority and made him number one. They were going to receive everything and anything he gave them, not as a good suggestion or as an encouraging word, but in their hearts they were so loyal and devoted that this came across even as a command. Not a command put upon them, but a command that spoke life into their hearts, that created and stirred in them a passion and a faith. And I love. It was so great. And so that to the multitude who were indifferent, to the multitude who were in it for what they could get, who were in it to win it, Jesus spoke in parables and he made things very difficult for them. But to those who really wanted it, to those who were willing to give up and make sacrifices in order to pursue, to those who really wanted to follow Jesus, take up their cross, deny themselves, to those, Jesus spoke very plainly. 
How is your ear? How do you hear the Word of God? Do you hear the Word of God easily? Are you able to sense the will of God? You know, I want to tell you something, folks. I go through times, I've been through times and seasons where sometimes I feel it's, it's hard. And in those times I realize there's stuff in my heart that's blocking here because there's no problem on God's end. God is the God who is giving. He's pouring out His love. He's pouring out His wisdom, His revelation, knowledge. Why? Because He wants me to have it. He wants me to be walking and living in the fullness of everything that Jesus Christ came to give me here and now. The last thing God wants is for me to rock up with Him in His presence one day in heaven and show me the room that is still full of everything He wanted me to have here. There's another room of the things that are being stored up for me one day for my blessing. Those are dependent upon what I do here. But there's a room filled with things that God wants to pour out in your life that He wants you to know about. And He calls us into them. To those who are willing to forsake all others and to yield their hearts and their lives to His teaching, Jesus spoke things plainly. If we allow these three things to happen when it comes to our relationship with God, to believe, to believe Him, in Him, to believe His Word, to receive it, receive His presence, receive His Word, and to yield to it, we allow the transforming power of that love to change us. Folks, Jesus didn't come to just bless us with His love or His presence. He came to totally transform us. I want to say that again. Jesus didn't just come to bless you with His love. He came to totally transform you. Amen. Out of darkness into light. A new, totally transformed creation. Not just touched by it. Not just blessed by it, transformed. Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful passages of love. Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? To these things that I've been saying to you today. What, what are we going to say about these things? What are we going to do about them? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, in other words, with Christ, also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The things around us are there. I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what giants you're facing. But Paul writes, you know, when we begin to understand this incredible love... When we become recipients of it, and I mean experiential recipients of it, something happens in us that we become so transformed that we become conquerors, more than conquerors, through Him who loved us. 
In other words, the very overcoming over power of Jesus Christ that overcame sickness, death, sin, hell, the grave, that very power begins to work in us and flow out of us and through us. More than conquerors. What is more than a conqueror? You know, when you've conquered, you're a conqueror. After you've conquered long, everything's conquered. There's nothing more to conquer. You're more than a conqueror. You're at rest. You're at peace. And then he says this, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Family, what are you persuaded of this morning? What are you persuaded of? Are you being persuaded by your problems? Are you being persuaded by your insecurities? By your fears and anxieties? By your body? How you feel? By your emotions? What is it that is persuading the decisions of your heart? What is it that is swaying you in your pursuits? Is it the love of God? Are you so persuaded of this love and the power of this love that everything else in your life is touched by it and is aligned to it, yielded to it? What are you persuaded of about yourself? Are you persuaded of what God thinks about you? Are you persuaded about how God sees you? Or are you more persuaded about what the media says about you or somebody else? What are you truly persuaded of in your heart of hearts? What is it that you truly believe? And how is that finding expression in your life? Folks, you cannot be transformed by something or someone that you do not know intimately and experientially. If the love of God is just something you hear about, you come to church week after week, you hear messages, and it's great, and it, it preaches good, it sounds nice, it sounds like this wonderful thing. <coughs> if that's all you know about the love of God, that, that head knowledge alone does not have the power to transform and to change your life. It is in those intimate, quiet moments when that love impacts your heart, where you know you've met with somebody. <laughs> Can I use you as an example again, please, Ken? There's a very casual way we can meet one another. And... I may or may not have that much of an impact of it on his life. But if I were to do this, and I didn't, that would have a serious impact on his life. He would remember that moment. You don't believe me? Let me show you. <laughs> Thank you. He would remember that moment, the time that he came up to you know, the front of the church because the pastor was there and the pastor punched him. He was impacted. And that's what I'm talking to you about, folks. Where the Word of God is not just something we converse with or we mentally, but there's an impact in it. Where Paul says, my, when I came to you, I didn't just preach persuasive words of human wisdom, but by the power of the Spirit, in signs and in wonders, there was an impact where the kingdom of light impacted the kingdom of darkness and things were transformed. 
That is what I want more than anything. This is what I believe God is calling us to. As, and, and what is the key? Is it just me pursuing? Is the problem that I'm not jumping through the hoops right? That I'm not hitting the ball right? Is the problem the things that I am not doing right? Or is the problem just that my orientation is off and I'm not truly open to receive? How do I press into this? One way. Press into the love of God. <coughs> the way we align our hearts with the transforming power of God's love is by becoming intimately and experientially acquainted with it. You want to know more of the love of God? Get your nose in this book. You want to know about the love of Jesus? Spend some time on your knees. Spend time in His presence until He impacts you. Spend some time in the Word until it hits you in your solar plexus. I want to tell you something. God is a heavy hitter. He's a heavyweight. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't spare His punches. But He's always right there to pick you up and help you. We need to get into His presence. We need, to, we, need to, we need to, in our own hearts, know that when we're coming to God, we're not just coming to Him, saying, Jesus, what can you do for me? God desires to do wonderful things for you. But there's a pursuit that is deeper than that. I am saying to you, absolutely, come to Jesus for what He can receive. Absolutely. But let it not just be for the things that are on your heart. Say, Jesus, I want to receive what's on your heart. Amen. Do you remember the prophetic word that Pastor Andreas gave us about two months ago now? That dream that he had. What was the issue? People were before God, they were worshipping, they were praying, they were doing their thing. What was the issue that God had? Hearts were far from Him. Caring about our thing, but we hadn't captured the heart of God. Ephesians 3.19, Paul again writes, To know experientially, to know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Folks, love is just a word until someone comes along and gives it meaning. You won't know and truly understand what the love of God is until you get in His face, until you open your heart to receive it and you pursue it through reading the Word, through time in prayer, praying in the understanding, praying in the Spirit, Saying, God, would you just give me a revelation? Pray according to the words of Paul. God, that I may know the width and the depth and the length and the height of your love. Folks, I want to tell you something. The most transformational revelation I've had in my life has been a revelation of God's love for me. Where I was a young believer leading a completely double life, trying to earn and through good works and doing right things, happiness or peace in my heart with God somehow. When God showed me that His love, the Bible says He works in us to will and to do, both, both to will and to do His good pleasure. I went from having to do God's will to desiring to do God's will. There's a big difference when love of God encounters it, us. We get to know God and His love. Romans 8.32 again, He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? See, folks, this is what I want us to get this morning. If you forget everything else I said this morning, just remember this one thing. God has withheld nothing from us. All he asks is that we withhold nothing from him. 
that we yield to Him completely, that His love may truly impact and transform our lives. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.